Welcome to the Reconcile Community Church podcast. We hope and pray that the resources that will be shared on here would be a blessing to you. If you want more information or to support our church financially as we do the work in the beautiful Queen City of Cincinnati, Ohio, you can find more information about that at www.reconcilecincy.org. Be blessed. will be out of your hair today. Psalm 71 uh, says this, and I do apologize for those who are uh, here in person looking at the screen because I know it's small, but hear these words in Psalm 71. Lord, I seek refuge in you. Let me never be disgraced. In your justice, rescue and deliver me. Listen closely to me and save me. Be a rock or refuge, uh, be a rock of refuge for me where I can always go. Give the command to save me. You are my rock and fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the power of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and oppressive. For you are my hope, Lord God, my confidence from my youth. I have learned, I've leaned on you from birth. You took me from my mother's womb. My praise is always about you. I am like a miraculous sign to many. And you are my strong refuge. That's why we say we're all walking testimonies. This is the impetus behind this particular thought here. My mouth is full of praise and honor to you all day long. Do not discard me in my old age as strength fails. Do not abandon me. For my enemies talk about me and those who spy on me plot together, saying God has abandoned him. Chase him and catch him, for there is no one to rescue him. God, do not be far from me. My God, hurry to help me. May my adversaries be disgraced and destroyed. May those who intend to harm me be covered with disgrace and humiliation. But I hope, I, but I will hope continually and will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell about your righteousness and your salvation all day long. Though I cannot sum them up, I come because of the mighty acts of the Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still proclaim your wondrous works. Even while I am old and gray, God, do not abandon me. While I proclaim your power to another generation, your strength to all are to come. Your righteousness reaches the heights, God, and uh, you have done great things. God, who is like you? It's rhetorical. No one. But carry on. You caused me to experience many troubles and misfortunes, but you will revive me again. You will bring me up again. Even from the depths of the earth, you will increase my honor and comfort me once again. Therefore, I praise you with a heart for your faithfulness. My God, I will sing to you with a lyre, Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you because you have redeemed me. Therefore, my tongue will proclaim your righteousness all day long. For those who intend to harm me will be disgraced and confounded. The very words of God. Amen. And amen. Oh, it wasn't going. I was wondering where it was happening uh, behind me. Let's go before the Lord and let's pray together. Gracious God, we're thankful for these moments that we have together on this Sunday. We're thankful for this opportunity to be reminded of your word. Lord, for many of us, 
either watching virtually or or even here today, uh, if we're honest, like microphone was passed, we would say to some degree, we are tired. Some of us are absolutely spent. Some of us are just moments or just uh, a, a, a moment away from breakdown. We've all come in here with heavy burdens. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at Psalm 71 today, that you would give us hope on today, that you would encourage our hearts and our lives. Now, Lord, I pray that you would be with us, remove any distractions or hindrances that may come about that will try to pull us away from what it is that you would have for us to know, say, and do on today. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that we would be uh, we would be encouraged, that we would be refreshed. But at the same time, Lord, I pray that we would fall more and more in love with you. It's to that end that I say thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen and amen. Y'all remember when the world fall, fell apart just a couple of years ago? You know, we, we now have found everything falling apart. But do you remember what led to the world falling apart? I know what y'all thinking. What are you going at, Pastor? What are you talking about? There was something that happened that, if we're honest, was the impetus behind everything that we would then have to experience what we're experiencing now. No, it ain't poor planning. It was when Popeyes came out with that spicy chicken sandwich. <laughs> I know what y'all thinking. Y'all like, what? If you track back, it wasn't until after the Popeyes spicy chicken sandwich came on the market. The next thing you know, people start getting sick with COVID. We had crazy elections and all of this. The world fell apart. After the spicy, uh, spicy chicken sandwich with Popeyes. I know what you're thinking. Like, Pastor, this is not where I thought we were going today. But it's for real. You remember this fiasco, right? Everybody wanted to see if Popeyes had a chicken sandwich that was better than the Lord's spicy chicken sandwich. And if you don't know what the Lord's chicken is, it's called Chick-fil-A. They closed today. It's the Lord's chicken. It was a fiasco. It was crazy. People like myself and maybe you, even you online, even if you online, don't be ashamed. We were all a part of this kind of cultish kind of following. We all had to go to Popeye's to see if this chicken sandwich was good. And in a lot of ways, we all participated in this stress test on the company. What we found out was that Popeye's wasn't ready for everything that was coming at them. The sheer amount of people, the publicity and all of the things really put a stress on this organization. They were running out of chicken. The workers were working 10 and 11 hours. It was so much going on. People were overwhelmed. They could not keep up with the demand. And folks were upset. Many of y'all remember this picture right here. You remember this picture. A lot of you created memes on social media about this picture. Now we see that here's a lady, she's absolutely exhausted. We don't know if she on her 15 or if she just finished her shift. But what we do know is that y'all wore her out because y'all wanted these chicken sandwiches. Y'all made memes and all of this, making fun of this lady because she is absolutely tired. And even now in person, and even you online are probably laughing at this particular meme, right? Because it seems like it's funny that y'all don't work this woman literally to the bone. But as I looked at this picture more and more, her posture in a lot of ways is a microcosm of how many of us look today. Overwhelmed, 
With our jobs, our careers, our families, we're chasing the dream, the allure of the grind. We have all gotten to this point right here. In fact, some of us, even now, feel like this woman right here. Either physically, or can I come down your lane? Even spiritually. We've all come to a point where we've been absolutely exhausted absolutely spent where you've been believing God for something and you've been praying and praying and praying and it still ain't came to pass yet and you tired you've been walking in your purpose you've been walking in your calling and, and you've been like living for the Lord but it's hard and you tired you spent you sitting here thinking about your life and contemplating what is next we've all found ourselves in this place right here where we're out of energy, we're tired, and we're moments from burnout or breakdown. Where we found ourselves in the desert spiritually, even physically. And here is where we find the psalmist today. The psalmist in Psalm 71 is interesting because we don't know their name, we don't know their gender, and we don't know when this was written. But what we do know is that whoever this person is, is going through some mess and they're absolutely tired and they can't get themselves out of it. They're an older individual references this throughout the song. But what we see is that they've tried to do everything they can and they could not get themselves out of the situation. And so in their distress, they pin what is called a lament, which is literally a gripe with the Lord about their circumstance. But then what we see is that they are clinging to God throughout this, uh, throughout this lament as a reaction to be reminded of who God is. In the midst of everything that is taking place, they are reminded of who God is. If I was to give you a sermon in a sentence here, because many of us have found ourselves in this place, here's the big idea. That believers find life in the Lord when they come to the bottom of themselves. And so this picture may have been funny for some of us, right? But if we were to think about our lives in real time, yes, we've all felt that way, that we are exhausted and tired, either spiritually or just from the cares of this world. We've all found ourselves tired, mentally exhausted, drained. But there's life even when you come to the bottom of yourself. And the psalmist is going to share this with us. Important for us to understand is this question. What does the psalmist teach us about coming to the Lord when we are spent? Three movements and I'm out of your hair. The first thing that we see is that we must acknowledge our limits. We must acknowledge our limits. If you want to find life in a season when you're spent, you must first acknowledge your limitations. I know that doesn't seem like that's important, but that is vastly important. The psalmist opens up in two occasions, and the psalmist says something in verses 9 and 18 that if we're not careful, we read right over it. The psalmist says in verse number 9, don't discard me in my old age as my strength fails. Do not abandon me. Look in verse 18. It says this, even while I am old and gray, God, do not abandon me. While I proclaim your power to another generation, your strength to all who come near. It's interesting that in both of these caveats, the writer is coming to grips with the reality that they can't get themselves out of the situation. They have brushed up against their own limitations. I'm old and frail. 
I can't do what I thought I could. I can't get myself out of this situation. That there was nothing about what they were that would be able to help them get out of this, to get uh, find victory over their enemies. They were simply spent. They did everything that they could. And it's here where we begin to see them now point to God and reference him as a refuge and a deliverer. This person is extremely self-aware. They know their limitations. They're, they're not tricked into thinking that they can do more than what they can. They're, they're, they're intimately aware with their frailties. And because they're intimately aware of their frailties, it makes it easier for them to pivot to now put their dependence and hope on God. Where they can't, where they can't push through because they are limited, they have now put their faith and hope and trust in a God who is limitless. This is important for us because it's clear that this psalmist could not protect themselves. They couldn't fight for themselves, nor could they rescue themselves from the predicament, but they know who could. And what does the text tell us? In their pleas, now that they know how limited they are, they come to God and they begin to remind him of who he is. God, I need you to deliver me out of this, but not only do I need you to deliver me out of this, but let me remind you of who you are. It's not so much that God needs to be reminded of who he is. It's to help us remember who he is. And so what does the, the psalmist tell us in verses one through four? He says, in your justice, you can act on my behalf. Remember last week when we were talking about Jesus, about God being the righteous judge, that he's the one who has the last say, that there's nothing that happens that in this broken world would have the last say. He has the last say in all things. So if something is wrong, it will be corrected. Why? Because we serve a God who is a righteous judge. He's hitting on this idea that, God, you will not allow this brokenness to fester. You will not allow this to continue to happen. That injustice will not have the last say. He's reminding himself of who God is. He says, be a rock for me. I like this because a rock carries with it this idea that it's immovable. It's a protector. It's impervious to any hurt, harm, or danger. He says, you can give the command and you can save me. He's hitting at this idea that God is sovereign, meaning that God can do whatever he wants and ain't nobody gonna check him. And that's good for us to be reminded that he's reminding himself that although the enemy is surrounding them, although it looks bleak, there's one that he can put his hope in and trust in who would but say a word and can fix everything in this situation. He understands that he serves a God who's limitless. And he's reminding himself of the sovereignty of God in the midst of this. God, you can protect me. You can give the command and you can save me. But not only that, you are my fortress. What's the idea of a fortress? It's protection. It's a place of safe haven. Back in army times, when the army needed to retreat, they would go back to a fortress so that then they can go and they can solve wounds and they can do whatever is necessary, but they would be protected by the gates. And he's saying, God, you are a fortress. It's hinting at this idea that he is providential, that he can provide for us. This is good for us to see. Instead of the psalmist continuing to white knuckle it, the psalmist is reminded that I can't do everything. That I can only get to a point. And it's in that moment that I should be reminded that I am to be utterly dependent 
upon God. It's good for you to brush up against your limitations. It's good for you to brush up against the limits that God has placed for you. Because we live in a day and a time where people wear burnout like a badge. But that's nothing more than us failing to accept our limits and to trust in a God who has infinite. It's us believing in a nutshell that we can operate like God. And a lot of times, if we can't acknowledge the fact that we have limits, then we find ourselves on the other end wondering why we're burnt out, wondering why we're having nervous breakdowns, wondering why we find ourselves in these positions and situations that we can't get ourselves out of. It could be because we were functioning with this pseudo-Messiah complex, thinking that we can just keep on going thinking that we can just keep moving, that we can burn the candle on both ends of life. When we fail to uh, remember that we are limited, we miss an opportunity to be blessed by God. You are made of dust. You can be here today and gone today. It's sobering for us to be reminded James chapter 4, verse 13 through 14 says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It's sober. You're limited. Psalm 103, verse 14 says this, For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust remembering that we are dust if you want to find hope in the lord brothers and sisters we have to come to grips with our limitations and i know this is tight but it's right I know we don't want to hear this because you know you can do all things through christ who strengthens me as we misappropriate that passage of scripture it's not a cookie cutter uh, passage that tells us that we can do absolutely everything. No, that is not the original intent of that verse. We misapply it and we begin to think that we too can operate like God and we can't. You were made with limitations. In 2013, this young lady was working for a law firm in Japan. She had logged in over 100 hours of overtime at that point. She's been working seven days a week, 100 hours of extra overtime in a week. She was so overwhelmed. She was so burnt out that she decided to go up to the top story of the, of the building and jump off and kill herself. Now, what's sad is that the company that caused this uh, situation to take place with this young lady, they only had to pay $4,400 for this woman's life. But what's interesting in Japan, her life and the tragic ending of it is not one a one-off, but it's a normal occurrence. They actually have made up a name for this overwhelmed type life that leads to suicide. It's called Kuroshi, meaning work leads to death. That they're so overworked, that they're so overwhelmed, that they're constantly going all the time, and they're so burnt out that they get to a point where the only way out for most of those individuals who work in those places and those situations is death itself. And this happens because we fail to acknowledge our limitations. 
Could it be that we are tired because we keep going and God is telling us to pause? Could it be that we find ourselves on the end of our ropes, not because of the devil doing it, but because we fail to acknowledge our own limitations? The psalmist acknowledged their limitations. I'm old and I'm fading. Don't abandon me. And the interesting thing is that they're old and them being fading is not going to be uh, stipulations by which God would abandon them. God would not abandon them based off of their brokenness because Jesus would come and die in our place and for our sins. You ain't supposed to be perfect for God to love you. God loves you even in the midst of while you were broken. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done. So even the idea that God would abandon him is farce, but because he's in a situation, we can see where it comes from. We have to come to grips with our limitations. But then secondly, we uh, we find hope because he restores our souls by reminding us of prior goodness, of prior goodness. Verses five and six say this. For you are my hope, Lord God, my confidence from my mouth. I have leaned on you from birth. You took me from my mother's womb. My praise is always about you. Verse 16 and 17 says this. I come because of the mighty acts of the Lord God. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. God, you have taught me from my youth and I still proclaim your wondrous works. It's this idea that God can refresh our souls by reminding us of his prior goodness. In both of these instances, the psalmist is reminded in the midst of a lament about how God moved before. And in the midst of the distress and in the midst of the tiredness, in the midst of being spent, the psalmist is granted the grace to remember how the Lord has worked in his life before. And in the midst of this, his hope is restored. He's spent, but he's remembering that God was with him before, that he'll be with him now. His heart is being reignited, or she's, her heart is being reignited. And God calls us to remember because memory can serve as great fuel for forward momentum. This is good for us to understand. Sometimes it's good for you to look backwards in order for you to be able to move forward in life. To be able to see what God has done can ignite boldness and courage and the ability to move forward in the present. One of the most often repeated phrases in the Old Testament is do not forget. If you were to go through the Old Testament and pin through the words and pin through the pages, you will probably bump into that phrase where God is telling God's people. He's telling the Israelites, do not forget. Do not forget. Every time, do not forget. Don't forget. Hey. Build this so you don't forget. Have this feast so that you don't forget. He's constantly saying, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Even you virtually, he's always saying, don't forget. Why? Because there's something powerful about remembering the mighty acts of God. You know, there are celebrations that were created, week-long festivals that they would have, and they are centered around making sure the people remember what happened in the Exodus narrative. The Passover is a time where they would celebrate the moment where the uh, deaf angel passed over all of their homes because of the blood being uh, put on the doorpost of their homes. And that final, um, that final act in the 10 plagues that literally killed all of the firstborn, besides those who were the Israelites who followed them. They remember God brought them. God passed over them. 
the Feast of Unleavened Bread is interesting because it immediately follows the Passover and it lasts a week. And here it is, during which time the Israelites ate no bread with yeast in remembrance of their haste in preparing for their exodus uh, from Egypt. They celebrate. God came through. Y'all remember when we had to hurry up and get up, up out of here. But, but remember, God was preparing us for the promised land. We were being freed from the bondages of slavery in Egypt. We celebrate on this day. We remember as we eat this cracker that, you know, probably don't taste that good. But we remember what he's done before. The first, the feast of first fruits is interesting. It takes place um, and it's uh, at the beginning of the harvest and it signifies Israel's gratitude and their dependence upon God. And it's interesting because uh, as they do this, they present their first fruits, meaning the, the best of their field, the first fruits of their field. They present them to the priest and they are to acknowledge that God had delivered them from Egypt and had given them the promised land. So there's another feast that they are coming together. They're bringing this produce. They're bringing the best of what they had to offer. And they're reminded that God gave them the promised land. Memory serves as a good reminder for us of all of the times in which God has come through. And when you find yourself spent, when you find yourself absolutely tired, when you find yourself absolutely exhausted, when you find yourself at the end of yourself, could be a perfect opportunity for you to pull out those nothing but God moments. It's an awesome opportunity to be reminded that although this feels bleak, although I find myself in a tough situation, although I find myself, man, I am exhausted, but I know that God has moved before and he can move again. It's good for us to remember. It's good for us to, to be able to look back to move forward. A lot of TV now is just not good. Um, there's a lot of TV shows, and I've tried to get into a lot of them, but usually they just not that great. They don't make good TV shows like they used to no more. Uh, but one of the things that Kristen and I do when we are in the lull between uh, shows that we really enjoy and we like, man, there's nothing here to watch, uh, our guilty pleasure is that we'll just sit on our bed and watch Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. Anybody a Gordon Ramsay Kitchen Nightmares fan? Um, it's one of the best shows on TV. Uh, but of course, it's old, right? And so we, uh, we spend time uh, going back watching these old episodes of Gordon Ramsay going off on all these people who think they got great restaurants and all of this stuff. And although we may be upset and in a circumstance where we can't get ourselves out of, we just find joy by watching these old episodes. There's something about these old episodes that just bring us just joy. And it could be that they going through stuff and they getting yelled at, but we look at our situation like, it ain't that bad. <laughs> but there's something about going backwards at times to move forward. Now, it's important for us to understand here. Put a, a coin in a meter here. I'm not saying that you live in the past. But what I am saying is that it is okay to look back in the rearview mirror. You cannot drive a car by only looking at the rearview mirror because you'll crash because you're not looking forward. But it's there for you to glance up every now and again to see how far you've come and to see where the Lord has brought you from. And it's good for us to have these moments that we can say are like spiritual rearview mirrors where we could say, it looks crazy out here now. I find myself in this tough situation now, but I can look up and remember when I didn't have a job and now I got one. I can remember the moment where I was alone, but now I got somebody. I can look up and remember where I didn't have any fruit in my, in my, in my closet, you know, in my pantry, but now I got some stuff. 
I remember when I was losing my mind in a situation similar to this, but I can look up and say, but God kept me in the back of this situation. So he'll keep me in this one. Now it's good for us to have these nothing but God moments. They help us. God wants you to remember his hand because there will be times where you find yourself on the backside of the mountain and it may not feel like he's there, but he's present, but he may be whispering to you to pull out the Rolodex. Maybe that's what God is calling to us if we are finding ourselves tired. But then lastly and finally, and I'm out of your hair, I told you it's abbreviated. We're in and out because we don't want to get caught in Noah's Ark here. Well, we don't want to be caught outside of Noah's Ark. Let me clean that up. Third and finally, we find joy when we worship him regularly. We find joy when we worship him regularly. I love what the text says in verses six at the twelve tail end of it. He says, my praise is always about you. I am like a miraculous sign to many and you are my strong refuge. My mouth is full of praise and honor to you all day long. Verse 14, but I will hope continually and will praise you more and more. 22 through 24 says this, therefore, I will praise you with a harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing to you with a lyre, Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you because you have redeemed me. Therefore, my tongue will proclaim your righteousness all day long for uh, those who intend to harm me will be disgraced and confounded. In the midst of exhaustion, worshiping the Lord can be a healthy remedy. This psalmist shows us this. It's woven all throughout this particular psalm. Now, this should, this should surprise you because I said earlier that this psalm is a psalm of lament. A psalm of lament usually carries with it this, this low kind of sadness. It's, it's an opportunity for you to voice your complaints upon the Lord. Lord, I am in this situation and I need you to get me out of it. I can't believe that my enemies are overtaking me. The tone of a lament is usually somber. But if you read this psalm multiple times like I did, I got confused because most of the time that I'm reading this lament, it's always woven with this idea that I'm going to keep on praising you. I'm going to praise you regardless. I'm going to keep on praising you. You've just been so good. I'm going to praise you. You've been with me. I can't even comprehend it at one point is what he said. I, I'm praising you and I'm praising you on based off of what I understand. And I know that ain't all the way together because I, I mean, it's been so overwhelming. I'm going to continually praise you. My enemies may say this. They may do this. But no matter what, my disposition is that I am going to keep praising you. You almost forget your reading and lament. There's something important here. Hear me. One of the best ways to become hard-hearted in all things is to allow yourselves to wallow in self-doubt and cynicism. You find yourself in hard situations. It's easy for you to lose all hope. It's easy for you to start to doubt to doubt that God loves you, to doubt that, man, you even love yourself, that you're even worthy of receiving God's love. It's good for you. It's, it's easy for you to be able to do this. It's easy for you to fall off into the deep end. It's easy for you to become cynical. God don't like me. It ain't going to turn. That every day can't be, uh, can't be sunshine. You can never see the sun. It's always going to be cloudy. It's easy for us to fall into cynicism. It's easy for us to wallow in our situation. And cynicism is the fast track way to become a victim of our circumstances instead of becoming a victor over them. Cynicism drains hope and life from a situation. 
But what's the antidote? I'm glad you asked. It's worship. The adoration of the one who keeps us. It ain't just you shouting and having tambourines and somebody up here singing. No, worship is this posture that we have where we're constantly just thanking God for who he is and what he's done. It's a perpetual uh, act of thanksgiving manifested in how we live and how we operate. We can worship God in all things. And why is this important? Because worship orients us around the one who keeps us. It orients our hearts around the goodness of God and it elevates us out of our circumstances that we face and it focuses our attention on the keeper of our heads instead of the mess that is pulling us down. Worship is a verb and it is vital for the believer because it changes our focus and our perspective on our current situation. See if I can make it plain. On my vacation at Deer Creek State Park, which I tell you all the time, y'all need to go to these state parks. They are absolutely amazing. Uh, but there is this arcade at Deer Creek State Park. And uh, and so uh, throughout the uh, vacation, I tried to do things with the kids one off, like just some, some time where I could just get with them. And the whole purpose was for me to enjoy. We were just to enjoy one another. So my oldest son, little Brandon, loves shoot 'em up games. And so we found this game called Halo. I don't know if you've ever played the game Halo, but in the arcade, it's the one where you're sitting in the car, you got the gun, and you're shooting. Halo is a beautiful game. It's very colorful, but the thing that you realize very quickly is that there's enemies everywhere. I mean, they're all over the place. They're flying everywhere, and you got your gun. You're supposed to be shooting them to try to kill them. And if you know little Brandon, you know that he has, I don't want to say ADHD, but let's just say he, he's easily distracted. And so as the uh, enemies are flying over here, flying over there, flying over here, flying over there, he, he was shooting a lot, but he wasn't killing nothing. But he kept dying because he would shoot around, but he would never focus. And he was getting frustrated. And if you know my son, when he gets frustrated, he shuts down. He forgets the whole premise of why we are playing the game. It's for he and I to have fun with each other. And so after about five quick deaths and, you know, multiple swipes, which is expensive to keep him playing, I pulled him aside and said, buddy, listen, this is what I want you to do. I know it looks crazy. I know it's all of these things all over the place. But all I want you to do is focus on this little bitty tiny square that daddy made right here on the screen, right there. Just focus right there. If you focus right there, the enemies will come to you. And all you have to do is just keep on shooting. Don't worry about anything else around the sides. I'll handle that. I just want you to focus right here. Remember, buddy, this is just a game. And that's what he did. He began to focus. And as he began to focus, I'm handling all of the other stuff. And the enemies that do come in his little square, he could kill them. And the more and more he did it, the more excited he got, the more excited and more enthusiastic. And the less I had to swipe, so I got to save money. But there was just this beautiful thing that began to happen where I began to watch my son get more excited and excited and excited. And eventually he looks over to me and says, Dad, I'm having fun. Because of his focus change, everything went differently. He wasn't focused. He was focused on the enemy. He was focused on everything, and he could not find, he couldn't find victory in a situation. And he lost the ability to enjoy the moment that he had with his, with his dad. But the moment that he focused, it changed all the difference. Worship does the same thing. 
But when we are worshiping on God, it's focusing our attention on the one who is the keeper of our heads, the one who can keep us where we are, even when we are spent. It's easy to look at everything else and to lose focus. But the hope of us is that we can worship God in the midst of being spent, knowing that it would right our focus. We all can use a focus shift and a perspective shift. When we get tired and we get burnt out, it's easy for us to focus on the mess instead of the Messiah. This cannot be the case for you and I. We must be reminded of the goodness of God through our worship of him. Worship reminds us that we serve the one who can and will be with us. And it, re it reminds us to focus on the main thing, which is God. And when we focus on him, we have much to be thankful for. Ann Voskamp wrote a book called A Thousand Gifts. And she remarks on this idea of being thankful, even in the midst of the tough times that we face. It says this on the screen. It is in the dark that God is passing by. Our lives shake not because God has abandoned, but the exact opposite. God is passing by. God is in the tremors, dark in the holiest ground, the glory passing by. In the blackness, God is closest. At work, forging his perfect and right will, though it is black and we can't see our world, seems to be free falling and we feel utterly alone. Christ is most present to us. And as I close, Jesus gave us an invitation. He gave to the religious leaders and he gave to those around us that were suffering with being tired and being spent. And I love that this is an invitation for you and I on today. Dr. Eugene Peterson, the one who created the message translation, said this in Matthew 28, 20, uh, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. It says this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When we find ourselves tired and spent, we can come to the one who has living waters to refresh our souls, who can restore our hope from the storms that we face. And this is possible because of Jesus coming down and dying for you and for I to show us that we are not alone, but we are deeply loved. And we can acknowledge our limits because we know we are in a relationship with the one who never sleeps nor slumbers. The one who has all power in his hands. So you don't need to do everything. You do what you can, but God will do the rest. Divine human instrumentality. We can run to him because he cares for us. And we can find hope in tough situations that may run us low. Because in the end of it all, he's the one who can keep us. Let's go before the Lord and let's pray together. Gracious God, we're thankful for this day and this opportunity to come together on today. Now, Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we continue to just uh, worship you. We're thankful for all of the ways in which you have moved in and through our lives. Lord, remind us when we find ourselves spent, to put our hope and trust in you. 
that we wouldn't continue to try to white knuckle it, but that we would rest, that we would worship on you, that we would be reminded that you are with us through remembering the things and ways in which you've come through in our lives. Lord, we're thankful for the psalmist, whoever they are, for pinning this lament to remind us that even though we are, our strength may fail us at times, you will never fail us. And we know that that's possible because of what Christ has done. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen and amen.